Lord, we thank you so much for this awesome day you've given us, just this beautiful day outside. Lord, for, for the families that are here this morning, for the families that are spending time with their families this morning, uh, this last weekend before school, Lord, we just pray that you would bless them where they're at, that they would feel your presence, that would feel, they would feel your spirit all over them. Lord, we pray over the message this morning, Lord, that it would challenge us, that it would push us further in our faith, that it would, uh, that it would change the way we look at church and how we operate in church and what we do in church. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for your spirit just moving consistently and constantly in our lives. Lord, moving on behalf of us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, uh, we have been focusing on different types of churches. The, the first church that we focused on was called the Giving Church. That the Giving Church is not just money. We weren't talking about what you put in the offering plate, but what you give of yourselves. That we are not here to be served, that we are here to serve. Amen? That we are not here to be served, but we are here to serve. Then we talked about the growing church. The growing church was about how God wants us to mature as believers. That, that God wants us to grow. God wants us to mature in our faith. That, that, yes, God wants us to come as we are, but when we encounter Christ in our lives, we should not stay as we were. Amen? That we, when we encounter Christ, the old things should pass away. Those old things should fall away in our lives. Come as you are, but don't stay as you were. The living church. We talked about this last week. The living church. We talked about three things. First, the living church is not a dead church. It seems kind of common sense that the living church would not be a dead church. We talked about what that meant. That the living church was also a persecuted church. That when you are warring against the enemy, the enemy is going to war against you. That when we are consistently fighting the battle against the enemy, the enemy is going to try to take us out. He will try to persecute us. That a living church is a persecuted church. Then lastly, we talked about the living church being a faithful church. The living church being a faithful church. This week, uh, I want to end this series in what I believe to be the most important aspect of a church. And that is the loving church. We talked about the giving church, the growing church, the living church, and now I want to talk about the, live, the loving church. This, this church, this building, when people see this church, this church should be marked as a church that loves people. Amen? I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Hebrews. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament, and it's placed just before the book of James. There is some dispute as to who the author of Hebrews is. Some believe it to be Paul, and some uh, believe it to be someone who is very close to Paul in ministry. But whether it was written by Paul or someone that was close to Paul, you will see a lot of the same ties. You will see a lot of the same language that Paul would have used. I want to look at this as our main scripture this morning and then show the connection with a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We're going to talk about three things this morning. Three things. What makes a loving church? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope. What is the confession of our hope? That Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That Jesus Christ is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He was born of a virgin. That he died on a cross. That he rose again three days later. That he is a living God. Amen? That is what our hope is. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. Well, you don't know what I went through this week. Without wavering, I hold fast to the confession of my hope. That he has brought me through before and he will continue to bring me through. Without wavering, you say, well, Pastor David, the culture seems to shift this way and wants us to go this way. Without wavering, I'm going to hold fast to the confession of my hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Without wavering. The first thing of what constitutes a loving church is this. It is a church that is Christ-focused. A loving church, number one, above all, is Christ-focused. If a church is not Christ-focused, it cannot be described as a loving church because Christ is love. It's not focused on trends. It's not focused on politics. It's not focused on entertainment. Uh-oh. Let me say that again. It's not focused on entertainment. I've seen a lot of churches where you'll see fog and you'll see lights and you'll see lasers, but you won't feel the presence of God. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to be entertained. We are here to enter into and give glory to the presence of the living God. Amen. That is what we are here for. To be holy and consistently focused on Christ. I remember the song uh, a few years back, a song came out called Jesus Be the Center of It All. How many know that song? Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Jesus be the center of it all. A loving church will always, always, always point toward Christ. If we are not pointing to Christ, we are wasting our time. In every aspect of this ministry, if we are not pointing to Christ, we are wasting our time. Men's ministry, pointing to Christ. Women's ministry, pointing to Christ. Children's ministry, pointing to Christ. If we are not pointing to Christ in any aspect of this ministry, we need to stop it right now. We are pointing to Christ. If we are not putting Jesus at the forefront then we should shut the doors, lock them. 
or change the name from church to country club. We want Jesus to be the focus, the center, the forefront, the everything of this church. Amen? Amen. I want Jesus to be the focus, the forefront, the everything of my life. I, this is, I don't want this, to, it's not just a social club, that we are gathered together to worship Jesus. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Jesus is the center of it all. And then it says this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another. What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean, consider one another? If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. It says this. I know and I am convinced, this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the context of this scripture. The context of this scripture is simple. Paul is speaking to the Roman church. There was arguments in the church over what was clean and what was unclean. What could be eaten and what couldn't be eaten. These are arguments that were happening in the church. And so Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome and says, Well, hold on a second. Don't, why are you arguing about what's clean and what's unclean? As people were becoming Christians, they were struggling with dietary laws that had been put upon them. They were struggling with these dietary laws that had been put on them for years. And so some things they were labeled as unclean. And now having liberty in Christ and having a grace-filled life, they were free to enjoy these things. Namely, eating meat. Earlier in Romans 14, we see that there would be someone who is described as a vegetarian. Are there any vegetarians here this morning? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> I would not be described as a vegetarian. If you've ever been to a, I, I use this example all the time. If you've been to a restaurant with me, I always say, no vegetables. The lady at one and one does not know me very well. But every time I go in there, she goes, no vegetables? That's right. No vegetables. I should eat them. But I don't. I don't like the taste of them. I like raw carrots, so that's okay. But we see that someone, they're, they're talking about someone who described themselves as a vegetarian, and that if they ate meat, that meat was unclean. And so there was arguments within the church over what could be eaten and what could be drank. 
Some people thought to drink wine was unclean. Some people didn't have an issue with it. Paul says this. Those who would, eat, those who would be eating meat would get into arguments and debates. They were consistently trying to prove their point. How many know some people like that? How many know some people that they just have to prove their point? How many know some people like that? Honey, do you know anybody like that? Not at all. Just debating and arguing until we prove our point. There are some people that have that kind of personality. But Paul was referencing those who were being offended as being weak. They had come to know the liberty. They had not come to know the liberty that the stronger, more mature Christians had come to know. They didn't know the liberty that the stronger, more mature Christians had come to know. But Paul acknowledges clearly that he knows and is convinced by Christ. And hear this, that he knows and is convinced by Christ that nothing is unclean. That nothing is unclean in and of itself. And we're talking about food here and what you would take into your body. That nothing is unclean in and of itself, but that if someone considered it unclean, then to them it was unclean. This was the argument that was happening in the church. What's unclean? What's not unclean? To some people, that it was unclean to them. To others, they had liberty to where it was not unclean to them. But Paul, and, and keep in mind that Paul is not talking about ungodly things. He wasn't talking about sinful things. We know that in those things there is no liberty, but only enslavement. Remember, we talked about it last week. We know that in sinful things there is no liberty, only enslavement. Amen? Don't shout me down this morning. He was talking about things that rightfully could be seen one way or another. Rightfully, they could be seen one way or another, depending on their viewpoint. Another thing that they were struggling about was what days of the week should they keep holy? One, one person wanted to keep this day of the week holy. This is a holy week. We should keep this day holy. And the other person said, no, don't worry about it. Just pick a day and commit that day to the Lord. Keep it holy. The weaker believer had a set day in their mind to keep holy and give it to the Lord. But those who had the liberty and maturity in Christ basically said that a holy day could be any day as long as you commit that day to the Lord. It had to do the difference it had to be with the difference between legalism and freedom. It was the difference between legalism and freedom. That there was grace that there was liberty in Christ. These older more more, more mature Christians, these Christians who had been in the faith for a while that they had experienced the liberty that Christ gave them. It wasn't a matter that they were abusing it. They were basically saying, hey, we don't have to be hold, held down to this legalistic system anymore. Where everything is unclean. Where we can't, we can't do anything on these different days. Yet another struggle was over drinking wine. Some were totally against it. Some felt that the freedom they had and the maturity they had meant they could indulge in the wine without it being a sinful thing for them. It meant that not, they would enjoy it in moderation. That it would, be a, it would not be a sinful thing for them. Now, 
How many know that in the church today, we have the same struggles? In the church today, there's a lot of churches that struggle over the very same things. This is not a new thing happening. This is an old thing happening. It's been going back to the church in Rome where people said, can I drink this? Can I eat this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? What's unclean for me? What's not unclean for me? What's sinful for me and what's not sinful for me? And at first glance, all of these issues, all of these things would seem kind of trivial. Wouldn't, don't you see they're kind of trivial? At second glance, these, these things would seem trivial. At third glance, these things would seem trivial. Why? Because they were trivial. This was, not, this was not an important thing. This was not, this was not whether or not people were saved or unsaved. This was not talking about people's salvation. This is talking about whether or not they could eat pork. This is talking about whether or not they should eat just vegetables or they could eat meat. This is talking about whether or not they could have a glass of wine or they couldn't have a glass of wine. This wasn't talking about, the, I mean, the firm foundational things of our faith. They were talking about trivial things. And because the issues were trivial, you say, well, what's the point? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Because while the issues were trivial, the way that they were addressing them was not. The way that they were addressing them was not. Paul's direction to them is closely tied to the, to the verse in Hebrews. Go to the verse in Hebrews. Keep going. There it is. And let us consider one another. That verse in Hebrews is let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In order to stir up love and good works. Go to Romans, this is chapter 14, verse 1. Go back a few. Over one. Go another one. Perfect. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 says this. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. That's what they're talking about. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. When, when you're talking about considering one another, he's talking to the church in Rome and basically saying, stop worrying about what they're eating or what you're eating. God has accepted them. But you would get this. Here's what you would get. You would get all the vegetarians get together and say, veggies only, meat is murder. How many ever heard that? Meat is murder. Tasty, tasty murder. You ever heard that? And then you get the meat eater saying, you have to eat meat only. You can't eat the vegetables. That would be, I'm on that camp. I'm in that camp. How many are in that camp with me? Nobody? How many think there should be a balance of both? Compromisers. 
Man. <laughs> you say, well, Pastor David, is this about what I can drink and what I can eat? And should, I, mean, I mean, we're talking about this. I mean, can I, can, does, are you saying that I can have a glass of wine? Are you saying that? I'm saying that for some people it is unclean to them. And that to them it is unclean. If that's the conviction that the Spirit of God has given them, let them them be with God in their conviction. And there's some that don't have that conviction, that they can enjoy it in moderation. That those who have the conviction that it's unclean should not say to those who think it's okay that you're in the wrong and you're sinful. And that those who think it's okay should not say to the ones who don't think it's okay, well, you're in the wrong and you're sinful. We have to consider one another. Why? Because these situations are trivial. It doesn't have to do with our faith. It doesn't have to do with salvation. But we have to consider one another. You say, well, what do you mean by considering one another? You see, you may be right in your liberty. You may be right in your liberty. But the Bible is very clear. In considering your brother you may cause him to stumble. And in doing so, you are at the risk of destroying the work of God. When we consider one another, we have to consider that there's some, there's some people who aren't strong enough in their faith. And so those who have liberty in some things are not going to lord it over those who don't. Those who have liberty in some things are not going to lord it over those who don't, are not going to say, well, go ahead, you know, I mean. Because in doing so, they could cause their brother to stumble. When we consider one another, when we love one another, when we show each other to be a loving church, it means that I'm not going to get in the way or try to destroy the work that God has done in you. There is a uh, um, woman that I know that uh, she enjoys strawberry daiquiris. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. She enjoys strawberry daiquiris. She, do, she doesn't enjoy them with alcohol. She just enjoys the, the drink, the strawberry daiquiri flavor. But whenever she goes to a restaurant, she does not order one. And they asked why. Now, she's very well known in her community. And people, people that know her know that she's of faith. And she said, because somebody at the restaurant may see me and think that it contains alcohol. And it may be a stumbling block for them. And so I want to do the very best I can to consider them. I don't want it to be a stumbling block. That's a good way to look at things. I don't want to be a stumbling block for anybody. It means being considerate. If someone has an issue with wine, of course, don't drink it in front of them. If someone has an issue with, you you go to somebody's house and they say, well, in this house we don't eat meat. Now, I don't know that I'm going to that house in the first place. I'm just kidding. But it's not a matter of saying, well, hold on a second. No, it's a matter of just considering them. It's considering them. It's loving on them. We don't want to cause them to stumble over the liberty that I have. 
but they may not. While I was on a missions trip to Honduras, um, we got word from the church that we are ministering in that someone on our team would not be able to preach. We had gone there on this missions trip, and we went, and, and it, was, it was awesome. We were there, and, and we, had, we were ministering to a main church and then a bunch of other little churches in the mountains and whatnot. And uh, that we got word from the main church that someone on our team was not going to be able to minister, was not going to be able to preach. And the reason was this. He had a haircut that was reminiscent of the gangs in Honduras. That in Honduras, there was gangs, and one of the persons on our team, a a good, godly, Holy Spirit-filled young man that had a gift to minister, but he had a haircut that when they saw it, they thought he was a gang member. Now, some people would say, well, that's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? What right do they have? So the people of the church were very offended by it. Now, of course, we were surprised by this. And the first response from the young man, what do you think it was? The first response was, well, that's too bad. Well, that's too bad. I'm not changing my haircut for them. And this, it's their problem, not mine. It's their problem, not mine. We spoke to him for a little while, and eventually he began to see something. That it was more important to be considerate to them and their culture that was offended by his haircut. Why? Because what his hairstyle, the way it was, and honestly, I didn't see an issue with it. It was kind of slicked back and shaved at certain parts, and I guess that was what the gangs were doing, so I didn't really understand it. But in their culture, it was going to stop him from ministering to them. Because every time they looked at him, they didn't see a minister of God. They saw a gang member. What was wrong with his hair? Nothing in our country. In our culture, it would never be an issue. But there, it was. We have to consider one another. We have to consider one another. What happened? He went and got a haircut. Why? Because he wanted to be able to minister to them effectively. Consider one another. Number one, the loving church Number one, the loving church holds fast to the confession of our faith. Number two, the loving church considers one another. Amen? Number three, go back to Hebrews. If you can, please. There you go. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The loving church... Number three, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Exhort one another. What does that word mean, exhort? Lift up. Who said that? 
Susie, thank you. Susie, you on the microphone? I'm just, <laughs> come on and preach. I love Susie. She's awesome. Exhort means this, lifting up, to encourage, to urge somebody, to press somebody. Sometimes exhorting somebody isn't always necessarily an encouragement. Sometimes it is just a pushing and a pressing to exhort somebody, to exhort somebody in the faith, to press somebody in the faith, to urge each other, be together, to press somebody, make a decision. Did you know that? That when you exhort somebody, sometimes you're putting them in a spot to where they have to make a decision. When you're exhorting somebody, sometimes you're saying, look, now's the time to pick a side. Choose this day who you will serve. To urge somebody, to press somebody, to exhort somebody. That's what it means. Sometimes it means to encourage somebody, to lift up somebody. But here it's saying to, to press them, to urge them. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, to urge each other. And the reason for it is this. It is so important that we connect with each other. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, we had the leadership lunch, and we talked about connecting and how important it is to connect with each other. Connecting with each other. It's important for us to connect with each other on a consistent basis. A loving church connects with one another. Romans chapter 15 says this. Now we who are strong. What does that mean? We who, this is, by the way, this chapter is just after the verse talking about those who are weaker and those who are stronger. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Go to the next one. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, now may the, the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant, to you, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Go one more. Therefore, accept one another. Just as Christ has accepted us into the glory of God. Accept one another. You say, well, Pastor David, you don't understand how annoying that person is. How many know somebody like that? How many know somebody that just rubs you the wrong way? We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I said I was going to talk about it today as well. How many know some people that just, they annoy the junk? I'm just, they just annoy you. 
Nobody? Come on. Carrie? <laughs> Carrie's like, I'm looking at him right now. <laughs> you know somebody that just annoys you, that just rubs you the wrong way. Therefore, accept one another. There was a, we were watching a video yesterday by John Maxwell. And he talked about the 101% principle. And I like this a lot. You say, well, Pastor David, you don't understand. I don't agree with them on anything. I mean, fellow Christians, I don't agree with them on anything. The 101% principle is this. You may not agree with them with 99%, but you can find that 1% where there's common ground. And when you find that 1%, you give 100% of yourself to it. You say, well, Pastor David, I, I can't even find that 1%. You want to know what that 1% is? Jesus Christ died for you the same way he died for them. The grace that we have through Christ is the same grace they have. Well, Pastor David, you don't understand how annoying they are. I mean, every time they talk, I just roll my eyes. I have to consistently remind myself, Jesus Christ died for them too. Amen? As Christians, we have to remind ourselves, Jesus Christ died for them too. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The message here is clear. That let those who are mature in their faith lift up and strengthen those who are not. Bear their weaknesses. Share in their burdens. <laughs> when I was in Honduras on a mission trip, um, one of the things that we were doing was we were passing out blankets and pillows to those who were homeless. And I remember going to the trash dump. Now, you have to understand that the trash dump in Honduras is not like the trash dump here. We were all on a bus, and uh, there was a lot of noise on the bus, and we were joking and laughing. We had our drinks with us. We had some snacks with us, and we were joking and laughing, and, and the pastor was recording on a video camera as we were going towards the city dump. As we rounded the corner towards the city dump, all of a sudden, the bus got silent. Because we went into what looked like a dump, but was also a city. Where there's literally, you can't even call them houses, uh, pieces of board and a roof pushed into the garbage. Where children were running around and families were living on this mountain of trash. Our bus happened to come about just as a trash truck came around the corner. And when the trash truck came around the corner, we noticed the, the little boys and girls, instead of walking away from it, they ran towards it. 
because they were looking for food. They were looking for sustenance. My friend Mitch had a can of Pringles. And he opened up the can and he gave it to a little boy. Now, you would think that in our culture, you would take that can and you would hold it to yourself. You would eat every chip on your own because you were starving. But he did not do this. He took a chip and then gave one to everybody else. They were dirty. They were stinky. You did not know what they were carrying, but you could not help but just to love on them. You could not help just to pull them in close and hug them. There are people in your life that are in a stinking, rotten, dirty mess. There are people in your life that are, are just filled with mud and dirt and sickness in their lives. Do we push them away from us? Or do we draw them in close? Are we afraid to get into the mud and the dirt with them? Are we afraid to help pull them out of their situations? Accept one another, just as Christ accepted us. Share in their burdens. Help them to mature, just as at one point somebody helped you to mature. It's the definition of discipleship. In the message version, it reads this way. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is the most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help them? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped them get out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way scripture puts it. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure that it's written for us. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. God gave us this perseverance and encouragement, not just he gave these things to us, but to use with each other. Perseverance and encouragement. Therefore, accept one another. A loving church accepts one another. Amen? A loving church accepts people who come through those doors. Amen? A loving church accepts people. Here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't compromise on the word of God. It doesn't dismiss the need for growth. 
but it recognizes that Christ accepted us in our dirtiness, in our loneliness. That when we were lost in our own mud and our own dirt, Christ reached out to us. That when he reached out for us, he showed us grace and mercy. And we are to do the same for others. Amen? Amen. A loving church does three things. Hold fast to Christ. He is the center of it all. Consider one another. Because when we do, we stir up love and good works. Number three, a loving church does this. We consistently connect with each other. We accept one another. And even more so, as we see the day approaching. Say, so what does that mean? What does that mean as we see the day approaching? When we see the day of Christ's return, as the darkness gets darker, let our light get brighter. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for showing us what it means to be a loving church. Lord, that we would hold fast to our faith. Lord, that we would consider one another that we would stir up love and good works. Lord, that we wouldn't argue over trivial things, but we would be focused on Christ. That we would consistently connect with each other. Not just on Sundays. God, give us opportunities to connect with each other throughout the week. Lord, that we would grow together. Not just connect with those who are of like mind. Not just connect with those who we consider to be our best friends. But Lord, let us connect with those maybe we haven't connected with. Let us as a church really become a family. And even more so as the day approaches. God, as the darkness gets darker and gross darkness covers the people, let your light shine bright inside us. Lord, I pray for each person here this morning. Lord, that you would give them opportunities this next week to love on each other. Lord, to show love towards somebody, to hug somebody, to pour into somebody who is full of dirt and mud. Lord, that you would give us opportunities this week to consider one another. That you would give us opportunities this week to hold fast to our faith. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the first week of school, and we'll see you next week.